We're back with part two of my conversation with Sister Martha Owen. So let let me ask you, um, I found it very interesting when I went to El Salvador last year. You know, like I, I mentioned, I'm a student of history, so so I'm always looking for more information. And I was surprised at how much I didn't know about the countries or the people or the culture or anything like that. So it was a great opportunity to get to learn a little bit before we went to El Salvador. What did you and Sister Dorothy know about the country and the people before you went? Yeah, I I would say very little. We Our two sisters were there a few years before us, and so they would share some of their stories, uh, like the kind of work that they were doing, uh, which was that um, leadership formation types type of work. They were training uh, people to be catechists. And um, so there wasn't too much else that we were just basically learning the kind of work they were doing. We didn't know a lot about the structure of the government. We didn't know anything about the politics of the place. I think our biggest concern was about the climate. You know, Mm -hmm. can we survive in a tropical environment and I, th- I think that was what I was concerned about because I hate the heat. <laughs> and, and it and is hot <laughs> there. <laughs> and it never lets up. No. And they say that once you're there for a while, you know, you, you get used to it. But I'm going to tell you, you never stop sweating. It just <laughs> is perpetual. And uh, the, 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 the highlight of your day is when you come home from being out working somewhere and dripping sweat, and then you get to take a cold shower, mm-hmm. <laughs> which in our day, of course, the nuns didn't have one of those heated shower things. Uh, we would all take a bucket of water into our shower and dump a little uh, pail, a little container of water on us. It was the most refreshing thing in the world. You'd shiver at first, but then after that, you would be so glad to get the heat and the dust off of you. And then you could relax and put some clean clothes on. Oh, dry, clean clothes. It was a treat. And that's when um, I, I can remember Sister Dorothy then sitting down in the hammock and taking out her Bible and, and, do, and just relaxing. Oh, and then maybe a piece of chocolate if we were able to sneak some in from our family or friends or visitors that brought us some and hide it from the priests in our <laughs> refrigerator, cover it up with something so the priest didn't get over there and steal it from our house. We had a little cottage or a little type of place where we were and we had a refrigerator and it was our secret to keep it from them. We would say, oh, we have a little chocolate. We have a whole drawer full of it. <laughs> Well, we knew how to space it out. If they came over, we were done. (laughs) (laughs) So did she have a favorite chocolate? Um, Well, not really. We anything that was chocolate. If usually we got those Hershey bars or things like that, you know, right. Anything people would send us. And that's, uh, there's a story related to that because uh, she loved your chocolate and a little drink and, just relaxing with her Bible. And I know that um, she used to give up her chocolate as kind of a, like a little penance, uh, you know, like if, and I know that she was doing that, you know, uh, as a little sacrifice to, it's a minor thing basically, but 
it was something that she felt she could do as a prayer for that, you know, the country. Uh, and so I, I know she did that more than once. You know, during Lent, we always fasted, uh, you know, one meal a day and, and given up giving up the chocolate. Now, at that point, I didn't like chocolate. Something changed in me over the years. And now <laughs> I like it. But at that point, it wasn't a big deal for me. But for her, it was major. So Major. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the work that you did when you were there, um, yeah. the, the missionary work that kind of the day-to-day of, of what the two of you were, were doing. Yeah, a lot of it was that leadership formation. Uh, I'll g- give you a good example of of one of the big projects that Dorothy was in charge of. Was uh, it was uh, a program called Caritas, which is a food distribution program. Now, it uh, there's a lot of uh, like I guess we would call it red tape involved in it because you have to first of all get the um, uh, the food came, was bought by the bishops of uh, the United States, surplus food from uh, from the United States, and the bishops would then send it down to the bishops of El Salvador. Well, all the transportation, and then they would get it in Salvador, and then making sure that it, we would have to get trucks to get it to our distribution site. You'd have to set up all the distribution sites. You'd have to get people to distribute it, or the, your local campesino would which are the, the farm people, you'd mm-hmm. have to get mostly the women and you'd get them to come and out of, it was usually once a month and they would have to be there and get the food out. You'd have to find a place to store it. You'd have to make sure the people are there to distribute it. Now there, you didn't have much trouble with that because they always wanted it. And then you had to make sure it wasn't going to the pigs so what you had to do was you had to weigh the children because it was mostly food that was going to, for the children so that they wouldn't be um, starving and malnourished. So you had to have a scale and you had to have registration cards for everybody. Some families would have five and six kids and they would have to walk down the hills from the mountains, crossing streams three and four times to get there. Now, these poor women have to drag these kids who are maybe two, three, four years old, five years old, and um, then they have to carry back maybe 20 pounds of sometimes powdered milk, uh, sometimes uh, oil, and they bring these little bottles of like old wine bottles or beer bottles or whatever, and get them filled up and take that. They were lucky if they got the oil to take back. Um, and then they, uh, and as was the custom there, they would put it on their heads, you know, wrap it up and carry it on their heads. I think you probably remember seeing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, it was a big project to, to uh, make sure that you had that all organized. So a lot of time was spent organizing that. And every month you had to make sure the trucks were coming and what they th- time they were coming and all that. Then when the actual distribution happened, you had to get the powdered milk to the site where it was going to be uh, panned out and given to the person, get your plastic bags ready to put it in, tie it up. And Dorothy herself would, some of those bags weighed, uh, you know, 50 pounds and she would grab those bags and carry them to a just uh, like one of the distribution areas. Like they'd have tables and uh, the people would stand who were distributing it would be standing behind the tables. And then the, the families coming through would have their little um, 
ID cards approved uh, and the kids would get weighed first. And so it was a huge production line. And um, so it, it was an all day project and it would be uh, like almost a month getting ready for that project, that day of distribution. And then the, the next month you'd be working on the next one. So Dorothy was a uh, real, uh, and you would have more than one site where you did that. Mm-hmm. So she, uh, uh, that was uh, one of her big uh um, events that she did numerous times during the month. So that was a, uh, uh, and then you, you know, you're talking to people and you're communicating with them um, and forming friendships and, you know, just on becoming um, like a real lifesaver for that community and the people that come to your distribution point from everywhere. So it was a, uh, that was a really wonderful program. And that that actually, the food itself comes from um, the American Catholics who pay for that, uh, their donations, you know, help fund that program. And I, I'm not sure how uh, active that program is right now, but I know that the Catholic bishops do support things like that. And, through, well, and it's called Caritas, yeah. Yeah, when, when Sister Cheryl and I were there last November, um, we participated in the Obras de Caridad um, distribution. Oh, and, good. And up in Chiltiapan in, in one of the cantons there. And, um, you know, it, it is quite the operation. And yes. you're right. Everything that you describe, you see these people who've walked, you know, an amazing amount um, carrying, you know, these kids with them in tow or the elderly. And they're yes. carrying these heavy bags. I mean, a thing of oil and the rice and beans and things like that. I mean, that stuff is heavy. Yes. And then there's soap powder, you know, and all the things that are there too. And and then they're walking all this way back, you know, with all of this. Yeah. Stuff. Um, but it was one of the most well-organized things <laughs> I have ever seen. <laughs> I know. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned some of those new things they're distributing. Because uh, in the beginning, like they would pass out flour, uh, wheat flour, which the people really didn't know how to use. It wasn't a common thing for them to use. They were used to corn fl- meal or corn right. flour. And so they would even offer cooking demonstrations on things you could make with it. That's why there was the concern they were just feeding it to the animals because it wasn't in their diet. So mm-hmm. over the years, you can see that they've uh, tried to be more responsive to the needs of the folks. So that's uh, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while since I've been there. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you were there? I was there in 2014 for the 50th anniversary of the team. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a real fun experience. Um, we uh, we got to go back to some of our former villages. Now we did spend quite a bit of time in a place called La Union. That was our very first uh, mission there, and um, uh, we never got back there, which is unfortunate because that that was a it's it was the capital of the Department of La Union, which was the farthest end of the country over there. It, and we lived on top of the church over there, which was so hot. I can imagine. <laughs> the concrete blocks of the church absorbed the heat all day. And then we slept up there at night. So it was like living in an oven, literally. No. <laughs> it was awful. And we were on the opposite side of the volcano Conchagua so that we didn't even get a breeze over there. We were on the Gulf of Fonseca. 
And that was, um, we could see Nicaragua across the bay from us and uh, Honduras was off in a corner also. But um, that was, and we used to go to the islands there. and we, we, So we did not get to go back there. So that was a little sad, but we got to go back to Chirilagua, which was uh, one of our first missions. I, I take that back. That was our first place. And Chirilagua was nothing but a, a farm village when we were first there. And when we went back in 2014, it was as if a time capsule had dropped there and we were in a whole new world. The street, the, previously the streets were dirt and dust. The, there's a, a central park that was nothing but a field of dirt and dust. There were little stores around the park. As, as you know, in those cities, there, there's always a central park area. And the, the st- stores were just, <laughs> just uh, dark little adobe structures. Mm-hmm. And when we went back, there, they, first of all, they had changed the facade of the church. It looked like a colonial masterpiece. Now, it was all fake, but it looked wonderful. They put up a, uh, they had paved the the Central Park area. Uh, They put up lighting. They, the whole street around, the stores were all new. It was as if we were in a time warp. And we were, literally, it was years later. But um, uh, I guess a lot of folks from the state, from Chirilagua had moved to the States and sent money back. I know one person uh, alone paid for the lighting in the streets so wow. you know, f- to have the fixtures put in. So it was things like that, that, um, you know, the, the folks didn't forget where they came fr- from. And it was a beautiful little city. Mm-hmm. It was marvelous. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, that was the most awe-inspiring thing I saw to see how when I was there it was I was on a farm (laughs) and when I went back I'm in this colonial village it was amazing amazing the transformation that it occurred so that was uh that was without a doubt the the biggest surprise to me so that was uh, just a few years ago then Mm -hmm. but uh, uh, previous to that I'd been back um oh I don't know about four or five times after um, Dorothy died, uh, it was a few years before I, I got back um, and went to the grave site. And um, that was the first trip back was, oh, that was, uh, uh, we went right from the airport because it's kind of on the way. I think you'll, you'll remember from your visits there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, there was, when I first went back, there was not a chapel there yet. It was just an open field. Uh, but there was the monument there um, that uh, Father Ken, uh, who has since deceased, and uh, Carol Savage had had erected there. We got there, and there was one of the other nuns with me, and uh, whoever picked us up at the airport. And uh, it was it was one of those things where your first time back, and you're you're at the place where you're friend died and uh you know all and these other folks that you knew died and you're thinking oh my gosh i can't you know i just wanted to pray there but you you, i I couldn't even get a prayer out of me and i and i just thought what am 
I, I was just like kind of speechless, prayerless. And the, the road back there in those days to the place was a dirt road. It was, there was nothing around. This was just a couple of years after, like it was, would have been like, I think like 1983, 1982, just a few years after they died. And it was isolated. Mm-hmm. And I, all of a sudden from nowhere, I'm, I'm struggling within myself to just pray and I can't get a prayer out. Uh, this little truck comes along, a pickup, and in the back of the truck are these teenagers. And it stops when it sees us there. And out jumps uh, these kids, and there's a priest. He's got a white cassock on. And I, I still remember to this date, he drooled on himself. He was a little, had a little mess on him right here. And he came over and he started talking to us and he says, you know, where are you from? And we told him we're, you know, the States and we come to the place where our sisters had been murdered. He says, Oh, he said, I always wanted to know, you know, about them. And we said, we just wanted to pray for them. He says, well, let us do that. And then he said, so he's led the prayers. And then we, we asked him to sing. Uh, This little group was a, they call it conjunto, which is a group that plays music. Mm-hmm. They got their guitars out from their parish. It was his choir. And they played for us. I don't know if you know the pescador. The, yes. The, 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 and they played it. <laughs> to this day, I want to cry thinking about it. It was so sent from God at that yeah. moment. It was the most beautiful way that... Dorothy could have been there for us, that we could have been blessed by, uh, you know, we couldn't pray, but here from nowhere, this priest comes along, says the prayers, and the choir sings for us. Probably the, it was the song that Dorothy had taught me. And when I was away on vacation, she had learned it, taught it to me, and then we sang it. And you, it's so popular, it became one of the songs we sing here in the States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the fisherman or the whatever it's called, I don't even know what it's called in English. Uh, you know, so it was just one of, that was my first time back. So that was, uh, uh, anyway... That always gets me a little bit riled up when I when I think of that first visit. It was a, a very um, to be at the place where they were murdered. Experience got me yeah. re- remembering again. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you for sharing that. That is such a such a beautiful story, and I I guess it, it, I relate to to your feelings in some ways. You know, obviously Dorothy wasn't my close friend. I didn't know her personally. But the experience of driving in to that place, you know, from the airport at its pay, of course, it's a paved road now. And, you know, there's a little house across the street and the chapel's there. But um, walking around, um, I found it equal parts um, peaceful and haunting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that field is there, you know, and you're, you're, you're looking at this and, and there's this giant tree. I don't know what kind of tree it is, but it's massive. So, you know, it's right on the other side of the, the marker. And, and I just, I, I, I was standing there thinking, oh my gosh, what has this tree witnessed? I mean, it just, it just kind of took my breath away. 
And it, I, I feel like you did. It was hard to, I'm like, I don't know what I should be feeling yeah. right now. And then, you know, Cheryl was very emotional. So I really felt like I needed to be, be strong for her. You know, I was like, I'm here. She, she, she and I are here together. I just want to be there for her. This is her sister, you know? And, and then we went in to have mass and, you know, the guys started singing, playing their guitars and it just catches you yeah. out yeah. of, out of nowhere. Yeah. And, it's a, it's where the saints left their blood. It's yes. it, they're and they're, you know, you know, I knew Romero was a saint, mm-hmm. but you know, with these women too were, and, um, you know, to to have them just dragged over to this spot and shot and killed out there. You know, every and when I read those accounts of how they were murdered and um and and I you know I know Dorothy and I and she was not a pushover as you know she was um, and Jean would not have been either. You know, they were tough people. They these guys were they were brutal evil people. Yes. Um, it's that that should never have happened. You know, that's that's just evilness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh, and I, you know, we I just say, you know, we don't talk about the devil, <laughs> but <laughs> there is evil out there. And, yes. you know, we have to just always choose good mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and stay away from things that can um, bring us to instances like this because they're just not right. And no, so. no that was, that was pure evil, pure. Yes. Evil. Um, yeah. it's funny because I, well, I was 13 years old when that happened, um, in seventh grade. And I vividly remember the front page of the paper. Uh-huh. And, um, I, I never knew the political history and story behind all of that. And, um, you know, that was one of the things that I've kind of said about, you know, trying to, to help people understand too, is, you know, there were a lot of things that were happening because of U S foreign policy. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, I mean, that, that was not something that was, that was foremost in my mind, but I just kept, I remember looking at the pictures thinking, how could you do that to women? You know, and not really knowing the brutality of what happened. I was 13. It wasn't, it was hard to, to grasp that, but you know, I, I read her, I read sister Cynthia's book, you know, a couple of years ago. And that's when I was like, you know, we have got to teach this. We have to yes. teach what happened. Um, because if we do not, it will be forgotten and it would be horrific if it were to be forgotten, you know, and, so I know, well, we were down there, Carter was president mm-hmm. and his main thrust was human rights. And from my position down there in Salvador, I could see the results of that policy of, of, of respecting human rights, um, because people were cautious in the world about th- that. He had appointed uh, people f- who were checking on every country to make sure that political prisoners were not being just disappeared, which was a new word, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what they did. And they're still doing now in places. Mm-hmm. You just disappear, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had huge, tremendous respect for him. Now I'm in Salvador. Little do I know that up here in the States, he's, he is not getting good press. He's, he, his economic policies, everything about him is being critiqued and criticized. And uh, so he's not reelected. I think it's when Reagan gets in then and they have a party in Salvador because now we have somebody who's going to let us do what we want, which basically means violate human rights. Mm -hmm. And who's the first one killed? Romero. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bishop, the archbishop. That was in in January um, Reagan comes in. In March, Romero is killed. In the next December, the women are killed. You talk about where America stands in the world. And I said before, earlier that I, you know, I was apolitical. I didn't know any of this stuff when I went down there. It, it, as just you're speaking about it too, we we have no clue about America's mm-hmm. what we stand for and what we promoted in these countries. Mm-hmm. And it's always been for the money mm-hmm. for the we have been willing to sacrifice lives in these other countries for money, for the business. Yeah. We, we we're, we're criticizing sin mm-hmm. and that we have to be true and faithful to who we really are as Americans and not, and not this evilness. Right. Okay. Enough of that right. lecture. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this episode of our conversation with Sister Martha Owen. Stay tuned for our final episode coming up next. 